0: Hello
1: and welcome to episode number 107 of the Milestone Pursuit podcast. This is the podcast that brings you a number of things. It brings you the odd workout here and there. It brings you recovery rambles where I run easy around the wet and soggy epping forest. And it brings you conversations with the elites that we invest a little bit in. part of our scheme to invest in those underfunded British elite marathon runners and today on Thursday the 17th of November that's what we've got. We've got the second part of our four-part mini-series. Exciting stuff. Our mini-series is into how hard it is being a marathoner and last time we spent a bit of time talking to Natasha Cockrum who shared her Commonwealth Games experience and her experience with recovering from illness and in that conversation we we picked out four things we picked out a sense of denial that pushing on and putting things out of her mind was key we talked about underperformance and how when it happens there's a, usually an explanation either physiological or psychological and rather than looking for excuses, we look for reasons and then we use those reasons to change things going forwards and improve the outcome next time. We talked about habits and distractions, how doing other stuff can help the recovery process and how building good habits while you recover and investing in other things when you're doing that and habits that are sustainable is important. We're going to hear a little bit more about that today. And we talked about how being patient in recovery was really important. And in fact, that being patient in recovery is not even a choice. It's a necessity. So that's what we kind of landed on last time with Natasha. This time round, we've got Josh. We've got future episodes lined up with Charlotte Perdue and Tish Jones. And a lot of the themes are, are recurring, of course, but from slightly different perspectives. Which I think is useful, useful. Useful for us all. But before we get into our conversation with Josh, I just wanted to go back to a recovery ramble from a few weeks ago, where I talk about freedom. And I was talking about the London Marathon. Oh, it's a bit wet through that puddle. Had a lot of rain in Heppin Forest in the last 24 hours and it's built on clay so the, the, uh, the water just runs off, clay being an impermeable rock, but anyway uh, and in that recovery ramble I talked about how my mother-in-law had been seriously unwell and a few very kind people Have contacted me. That's not to say the people who haven't contacted me aren't kind. The people who've contacted me to ask how things are. So I thought it'd be fair to give an update, and the update is remarkable. So she has made unbelievable progress since the kids went back to school at the beginning of September just two months ago, and is now pretty much self-sufficient again. There's still underlying concern about the cause, which appears to be a cancer. But as it stands right now, things are good. And of course that's great news for her, she's able to enjoy some freedoms again, freedoms that were taken away from her by her physical health for a period of time and it's amazing how quickly that comes back and especially with the mindset that it could all have been so different she's set to enjoy enjoy her life and that's uh, and that's created a bit more stability at home which is good and I don't really think there's Exists. I think we I said before we're always lurching between various states of instability and occasionally pass through it. But we're just a bit less stressed. Is perhaps a better way of putting it. But my training has been better as a result. So that's good. The instability is something that actually links not quite nicely to Josh because. That's what he's experienced in the past few months is instability and his, his routines and his ability to run and to exercise. And he talks about this, he talks about how he effectively created stability in order to cope. So, let's get on with it shall we, let's, let's hear from Josh. Josh, the last time we spoke to you was before the the World Championships in Eugene and Oregon back in the summer, which must feel like a lifetime ago now, especially because it's so rainy and wet and miserable at the minute. But it didn't go particularly well, particularly to plan. So do you want to just tell us kind of what happened and what's happened since?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, I had a grade three stress reaction in my femur, which was diagnosed like immediately after the race. So the race was on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. I'd had a scan on the result, but, um, the problem kind of started maybe three weeks before that. Um, so I was having a pretty big block. And I think the last time I was on the podcast, uh, you know, training was going pretty well. I think I just done a half marathon was, was about to, uh, I was in the middle of pretty big weeks. Like I was running 130 miles, you know, most weeks, definitely over 120. Um, And where I live is pretty hilly as well. So those, you know, 130 miles, they're not on flat ground, is over 10,000 feet elevation most weeks. Just, you know, it becomes a bit easier when you're running that many miles as well. It's different if you're doing that over like 40 miles. But yeah, it was all going really well. And then, um, so I had a big week going into the half marathon, did the half, went okay. Was never expecting like, you know, really, really quick time. It was just about, kind of getting the legs moving quickly over half marathon in preparation for a marathon which is something i quite like to do um then had a big week immediately after and then towards the end of that week um so i was now three weeks out started to feel a bit of a what i thought was a muscular problem in my quad um obviously when you run that kind of mileage you get so many niggles here and there you just tend to run through most of them anyway so i wasn't even remotely concerned, because um, I've run through, to be honest, far worse than that. Um, and I was, it's not something I would ever advise to other people, but you just kind of know your body sometimes and what you think you can run through and what you think you can't. But it wasn't really going away or getting worse, to be fair. Um, and I, for the whole time, thought it was a muscular problem just because of the way it was acting, like often quite bad in the first mile of a run. And then it would almost kind of felt like it was warming up and easing, which is why I wasn't too concerned about it and I was able to manage it whereas you know my what I thought the how a stress fracture would react is it would get progressively worse and particularly day after day it would be get to a point where you're in real pain and I wasn't quite having that so that never really crossed my mind and I knew that as soon as I got to America that I'd have you know really really good treatment from the physios and uh, with the taper for the marathon and things like that as well that it would all be manageable because I thought it was just a bit of a muscular problem and no more so you know when I got out there I kind of explained how I was feeling and they treated me a few times and I did a few more sessions and then about a week before the race they told me that it was very likely a grade one stress reaction in my femur bone injury which obviously was a big shock to me because I'd never even considered that it could be a bone injury but uh I told them I was still gonna race uh, yeah. and they and they were like they were okay but they, they wanted to make sure that I fully understood the potential reper- repercussions of doing that and obviously I hadn't had a scan either so maybe if I'd have had a scan and it had been confirmed they wouldn't have been so willing for me to do it. But, you know, I told them that, you know, it doesn't change my mind. It's going to hurt either way. So, you know, that decision was fully on me and they gave me the absolute best support I could have hoped for. So, big thanks to them uh, because they definitely managed a lot of problems going into the race. And then, yeah, you know, go start in the race, I was still confident that I could manage the problem because the training still hadn't been too bad. It was, leg was hurting a little bit here and there like some days it would be okay some days it would hurt a little bit more but you know it wasn't something that I was ever like really worried about Um and you know I went through halfway in the race I think in about 66 minutes which you know I felt pretty good I was kind of holding back a little bit in the first half because I was conscious that the weather could get a little bit hotter in the second half so Like, my experience from 2017 was that a lot of the field just really, really died in the second half. And I worked my way through in 2017 from, like, 70th at 1.2, 39th at the finish. So that was kind of my plan again this time, except the field didn't quite come back so much. And my leg at about 20 miles started to hurt more. Mm -hmm. And then the last 5K was yeah it was probably the most pain I've ever been in running um or anything else really uh to the point where I genuinely thought that my quad was about to explode the pressure and the feeling I had and it was just so so bad so I crossed the finish line I was never going to stop it was just a case of like either I get to the finish or I don't um but I wasn't just going to stop because it was going to be the same kind of pain and whatever either way but um so yeah, I got to the finish, and then I was in a real bad way. I pretty much got carried back to the tent and then, yeah, on crutches for the next few weeks. but um so yeah, you know, kind of lessons learned, and then since then, obviously, things have been very different. I've had to take the longest break I've ever had off of running. Um, I think I went seven weeks probably, without running a step. Um, and then it's not a case of, you know, you can just immediately go back into normal training you have to, the next few weeks are basically nothing as well, because you do, you know, run every other day, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes on grass. And, you know, all of a sudden there's another three or four weeks gone and you haven't really done much. So it's getting close to, you know, three months. Then by the time you're actually doing your first session and any sort of, longer running on road where you don't have to be quite so cautious and things like that so yeah it's been a very different last three months and totally different to what I would have hoped for and assumed but it's something that most people go through at some point whether they get stress fracture or calf strain or whatever the problem might be illness things happen and you kind of just have to adapt and do what you can so while the mileage has been really low recently you know it's like if you looked at my Strava you'd probably see like 10 mile a week, 20 mile a week, 25 30 but it's like it paints about a quarter of the picture because the amount of miles I've done in the pool, the amount of time I've stared at a wall in the gym on the cross trainer it's yeah triple the amount of running I've done but uh yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of necessary to keep the aerobic fitness in a good place so the Now, when I am back running, I don't feel like I'm miles behind. It's just kind of getting the leg speed back. That's the thing I haven't been able to do so much of, um, the run-specific stuff. But general fitness feels really good. So, yeah, I'm hoping to race in December. That's the plan, providing everything goes well in the next month.
1: Great. There's so much to unpicking all of that. I mean, it's obviously been a really difficult time. But the first thing I'm going to say is that I... I think when we spoke for the last time on the podcast I think you probably were feeling something then because you were sub- more subdued than I would normally expect you to be going into a championship race and I felt at the time when I was speaking to you there's something not quite right and with my experience of elite athletes and in fact most athletes is that we try to hide these things not necessarily from others but from ourselves as much as anything else so, so recognizing what's going on is is actually really difficult so you're Self aware enough to know that you had an an issue, but you sort of didn't want to have an issue, did you? Because you wanted to race in the world championships. So ignoring it was the only real option.
2: Yeah. And I think the, you know, the race kind of dictated how I acted as well. If I was going into Swansea 10K, I'd have totally changed my training, backed off, got assaulted. And, you know, two months later or a month later, I would have been absolutely fine. Yeah. Because it was kind of at that point where if you back off, it won't develop into the extent of the injury I had. But it's the world championship. I'm not gonna back off. You know, I worked so hard to qualify for that, particularly over the last two years, which is, you mm. know, really hard. So but also I didn't actually realise the extent of the injury. I one hundred percent genuinely believed it was just a muscular injury. Sure, that yeah. Could be managed. Um, obviously because a marathon, even though it's long and hard, it's not like intensity of a 1500 meter track race or something where you are you know running as fast as possible it's more just you know if you're not able to quite run at the absolute top speed you don't necessarily need to either so I was confident and you know I I was seeing in a lot of my workouts and long runs that the performance was still there it was just on some of these other days then uh, you know maybe the day after I do a hard workout that it was really quite sore and stiff and, Mm. but yeah,
1: I mean, you wanted to get the miles in. So you still did your easy runs. Yeah.
2: You know, know, learning from experience, um, I would have definitely done some things differently. Mm. Um, And, you know, even when I'm fully fit now, I'll keep some of this cross training in because you can kind of see the benefit aerobically of what it does but it doesn't quite beat up the legs in the same way. So sure, you know, yeah. some of my second runs, for example, if I do a track session in the morning and then what would normally be an easy five mile in the night, maybe some days I'll jump on the bike or jump on the cross trainer or, you know, not everything has to be running. And I think that's something that I didn't really understand or believe before.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good learning because especially for you, because you've been hitting the marathon so hard for so long now. So a good five years of constant, Mileage. I mean, your average mileage across those five years must be, you know, well, well 100 miles a week for five years, basically, or more. Yeah, um, I
2: think it's an average of about 4,900 over the
1: last five years. So, yeah, nearly
2: 25,000 miles in five years.
1: Yeah. So you've got the long term strength. And in theory, yeah. I mean, obviously your bones, are, your bone gave in on you in this on this occasion. But in theory, you've got the strength there that you don't need to worry about anymore. So perhaps when you do feel those niggles you can return to the pool or like say to the gym to hit the cross trainer or get on the bike to for the easy ones as opposed to the sessions because you don't necessarily need to be hitting the streets for recovery runs in the same way that you may be used to when you're looking to build the miles
2: yeah definitely and I think you know I do almost all of my running on road I don't live near big parks or anything like that like there's lots of fields around but they're just Farmers' fields long grass they're not suitable for running so yeah i think given the extent of kind of road mileage that i do it was kind of almost inevitable at some point that i'd run into some trouble um so yeah you know definitely i will it's not a case that i'll do all my easy runs on a cross trainer far from it but um you know maybe that 130 could drop to 120 or 115 and for me that makes a huge difference i mean mm-hmm. to some people they Both sound ridiculous too much, but for me, you know, it could be the difference between somebody else doing dropping from 45 to 35 and even that 10 miles makes a huge difference to how they feel just in the legs and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, if they can do just then some supplementary training on the cross train or the bike or the pool or rowing machine, kind of whatever, you know, different people prefer different things. Actually you feel just as fit as long as you're able to do the quality stuff run in. Because mm. it's hard to replicate that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, especially the marathon, you can't replicate yeah. the on run. You can't replicate no. those sessions in any other way. Um, and you've got to get your body adjusted to that. Uh, turning back to the injury itself. So you, you were told a week before, and I didn't know this beforehand. So a week before you were told that it was a, stre- a potentially a grade one stress reaction. So just for our sake, really, just to clarify, a stress reaction isn't actually a fracture, is it? It's an inflammation yeah. of the bone that is... The first stage before a fracture so suggesting there's a weakness that might become a fracture is that that was pretty much what you were told
2: yeah i mean you know i'm no doctor i don't know the the exact definitions of this either but yeah so basically you begin off with a like a grade one stress reaction which if you you know kind of just took a week off maybe that would just disappear and you'll be okay again um You know, that's not advice. You should definitely speak to someone who knows what they're talking about. um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that'll develop to a grade two, to a grade three. And then after that, it becomes a fracture. And then the extent of the fracture can obviously get worse as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was kind of what I was told. And it developed. I don't think I did any damage in that week, really, because I was tapering. I was already doing some stuff on the bike at this point because I was just trying to be careful listening to what they were saying. um, So I think it pretty much got f- from a kind of grade one to grade three in the race. In the race, um, yeah. Because, and did they say
1: beforehand that there's a the chance that this will turn into a fracture, and that's the big risk? Yeah,
2: yeah. they, yeah. they fully explained the situation, yeah. the potential,
1: you know, things that
2: could happen um, if I was to race they just wanted me to fully understand the
1: decision that I was making. But yeah, I
2: mean, I was always going to race. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And I think, you know, all credit to you for taking that on board. I imagine it was, like you say, it was a bit of a shock at the time it would have sent you reeling a little bit. You Luckily you had a week, to, I guess, to get your head around it and be ready for the race. But you've traveled that far. And that's, and when I say you travel that far, it's not just the lit- literal travel to Oregon. It is the journey that you've been on to get to this point you know you want to see it through and you did and I think you know to to complete a marathon full stop right you've done plenty of them completing a marathon full stop is hard and it's a big achievement to complete them in the times that you do is a big achievement to complete them in the time that you did in Oregon with the injury the extent of the injury that you had is incredible I mean for context uh you finished in 217 which is, by anyone's metric, fast. But for you, it's obviously not quite where you want to be. You've run 2.11 to qualify. You're traditionally 2.13, 2.14 is where a good number for you. So it's not ideal, but still 2.17 on a on a stress reaction with that amount of pain in the last 5K and finishing 49. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I was able to finish. You know, it would have been gutting if my leg just kind of gave way at some point during yeah. the race. Maybe it would have been the same, you know, a couple of months afterwards, but just kind of finishing and seeing seeing that through, it was important for me to do that. Like, I didn't want to just stop. It was the same in the Gold Coast when the temperature was just crazy and I, you know, my race had long gone, but I was not going to stop. It was, you know, I haven't come all this way just to kind of have a sit on the side and feel sorry for myself. So I had to see it through and I'm glad I did and... Yeah, I'm sure that'll give me a lot of strength for to face things in future, whether this in running or elsewhere, you know, there's always going to be tough days ahead. And I think if you can come through some, then you're always better set up for anything in the future.
1: And I think it's really interesting because you also say, you know, you said earlier that you were never gonna stop. It never even crossed your mind to stop. No. So what is it in there that's saying just keep going? And not to even allow it to cross your mind?
2: I don't Do you know. know. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I do a lot of training on my own, and you know, I I think being mentally tough is, is something that you know it takes a lot of practice, and I think you've got to put yourself in some hard positions during training and things like that. You know, when you know in some of these hundred twenty, hundred thirty mile weeks where the weather's horrendous, like it's been recently, or you've done a massive session in the morning and you could not think of anything worse than going over that run. But it's not like a choice. It's just, you just put your shoes on and you go. It's like, if you can eliminate the choice, then you don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Like when I wake up in the morning, it's not like, do I want to go for a run? It's, you know, you just go like you wake up, you brush your teeth or your breakfast. It's, it's not a choice. It's just kind of, (laughs) <laughs> something you do it's hard yeah. to explain i guess
1: yeah it, I, I can see that it's hard to explain because it is there's something inside you that just has has created this condition which is that you run right and you don't stop and you put yourself like you say you put yourself in those difficult positions and you're kind of comfortable with putting yourself in those positions to the point where you run for a stress reaction to complete a world championship marathon I guess and there is probably times when you don't enjoy running or are there not times when you don't enjoy running? I mean,
2: I'm the same as everyone else. Sometimes the hardest thing is to get out the door, you know, hmm. when the weather's terrible, or it's really, really cold. You know, I quite like training in warmer weather when it's sunny and stuff like that. So over winter, you know, it's not like I look out the window the pouring rain and hail and think, oh, I cannot wait to get out there. But it's you know, once you're out in it, you realise that it's, it's not that bad and, you know, I think that's true of a lot of things. Once you've actually kind of started doing something, it's probably not as bad as you think and yeah, I think all of that kind of builds up a little bit of mental toughness to face similar situations or different ones because you can always relate back to a time where things were difficult or things were you know, a little bit scary to start with but then weren't as bad as you thought.
1: And there's a there's a there's something about overthinking as well which you don't do i right? see so, so lots of people will overthink certain things get worried about certain things talk themselves out of doing things but you obviously don't do that you, you just it's very straightforward for you i run i get up and i'll run through stuff i'll make sure i'm okay i'll look after myself as best i can but i will just run and it, like you say i'm not going to give myself a choice
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely overthink in some situations, but when it comes to like training and things
1: like that, then I I don't,
2: I don't think so anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm sure you don't. You just crack on. So that's, and that provides an interesting context for what comes next, right? So you, you get on the crutches, you do feel sorry for yourself for a couple of days, you get the scan, you get the diagnosis that it's not a fracture, which must've been a bit of a relief, I guess, when you find it's not a fracture, but the remedy is the same, which is rest. And there's not a lot anyone can do in either of those things other than rest. And it's the femur as well. So it's, you know, it's particularly painful, I would think, and having not been through it myself, but I imagine the pain, pain was quite significant. And then you've got to stop yeah. running. So that choice that you've never taken is forced upon you. Yeah. To not run. So how, so how so did that feel?
2: Probably the two most difficult weeks of the injury were the two weeks that I couldn't do any exercise. So, the day of the race I was told I so I had the scan on the result um and then from the next day for the next two to three weeks I wasn't allowed to do really any exercise or put any kind of weight on my leg which is why I had the crutches I didn't really want the crutches it looked a bit stupid didn't have a cast on or anything but it was just to kind of protect the leg Mm -hmm. and not put weight on it um So, which obviously wasn't easy when I had to travel home as well through the cases and through an airport and stuff. But yeah, so kind of I had a week in America, so I got to watch a lot of the athletics, which was fun. Kind of took my mind off things. And that week, I guess, wasn't so bad because normally after a marathon, I take like a week to recover, but then I'm definitely ready to get back running. (laughs) And it was still another like six or seven weeks of no running. So it was hard to get my head around and I didn't really know how to approach things in terms of what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And knew I wasn't supposed to put any weight through it, um, at all. Really, you know, I could kind of walk around the house, but I'd be pretty careful doing anything more than that. So, you know, I started off swimming, um, because that was you know, really good zero impact. Then I got to a stage where I could go on the cross trainer on the bike. um, so, yeah, it was basically kind of do as much as possible to kind of build a little bit of aerobic fitness. I knew I would still be, like, really unfit when I started back running, but I didn't want to be like, I haven't done anything for two months because that would be – that would take a long time to get back to not just the level of, you know, decent fitness, but trying to run a 10K in under 29 minutes or trying to run a half marathon in 63 or less – you know that's a long way away from not running a step so yeah I wanted to kind of maintain that and I needed to mentally as well I couldn't just sit at home doing nothing um so yeah I would just jump on the cross trainer and turn the resistance up high and go as hard as I can for as long as I can jump in the pool swim for as far as I can which at the beginning was really not very far um But, yeah, you kind of get better at it over time. And from what started out at, like, two lengths up and down a pool, uh, turns out now into, like, 100. Um, So, you know, and the cross trainer is just as boring now as it was two months ago. But you kind of – it's just not a choice. You just do it. So
1: So you've replaced that sort of non-choice of running with the non-choice of exercise generally. where where before you just did everything on your two feet you adopted a more rounding approach to training based on the need as you get back into replacing the running but the thing that hasn't changed is that exercise is not a choice you are going to exercise
2: yeah that's it so the injury was in July I think in August every single day I was in the pool um, and in the gym September I could start to run a little bit more so I was probably in the pool every day still. And then I would kind of trade off, run one day, cross trainer one day. Sometimes I would do both if the run was really short. If I'm only running for 15 minutes, I don't even count that. But yeah, you know, it was definitely, I needed to keep in my routine of doing something in the morning, something in the evening. Um, And now I'm able to run a lot more, so, which is really good. So I'm not in the pool every day anymore because I just don't need to be. So if I'm able to run, then I'll, run and cross train or run and swim. I take like one day of non-running a week, but it's still like, you know, two and a half K in the pool, then probably two hours on the cross trainer. Um, And I've added some S and C into my programme because obviously that was a bit lacking if I got injured. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah.
1: we can always blame the lack of S and C when we get injured especially for runners who do lots of miles. Like the last thing I want to do, I have done two long sessions in a day, is then go to the gym and do some squats yeah. with weights on the back. But, you know, lots of people will say that's probably not the best use of your time and you might actually be better off sacrificing an hour of running to an hour of strength a week. Yeah. It's all different for different people at different times as well. So it's very variable. Yeah. So I think it's fascinating because you've, you've clearly got an exercise habit and i'm going to use the word habit rather than an addiction but yeah. you, could, you might say it's an addiction but there's the habit is the important thing and not, not losing that habit when something happens i think is, is something that we can learn from because what i see a lot of with illness and injury but also with when my case actually school holidays get in my way they're rhythm breakers and i'm talking about being anything in your training that breaks your rhythm is going to hold you back so consistency is so important and Anything that breaks that makes things more difficult for you. So if you find yourself in a position where your rhythm is broken for whatever reason, it's 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 important, I think, should consistency be your goal and should development as an athlete be your goal, that you find a way to maintain a habit. And that habit in your case is training twice a day and knowing that in the morning you're gonna get up and you do some training, and in the evening you're gonna get up and do some training. Now, previously that was running. Right now it's a mixture of everything and in time it'll be running again, but it's a thing that doesn't change is that, is that habit.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, for me, it's just something that I do i have done it for years. So, you know, it's not that I'll train twice every day. Like if I do a long run in the morning, I don't feel like I'm forced to then do something in the evening. I'm, you know, more than happy to take the rest when I need it, but it's just something I like doing. It's not like I'm going to the gym and, Doing everything as hard as possible all the time or going out and smashing all my runs as fast as I can. You know, I'm kind of disciplined enough to know what I need to do in order to kind of train effectively. Um so yeah, but it's I think just mentally it's nice to have that release. You know, if you Mm. sit behind a desk all day, actually just even if you just go for a walk or you go for a little spin on the bike or swim it's just a bit of a release mentally. And, you know, I think a lot of people need that. And anyone who doesn't, then if they started to do it, they'd probably be like, you know, wow, you actually feel like you've got more energy after you exercise, not less. Yeah. So, yeah, I think even if I wasn't an athlete, it would still be something that I definitely would want to keep doing because I just feel such a benefit from it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I was worried for you when you first got injured that the time you'd have out of running would affect you mentally. But it doesn't seem to have done because you were able to replace that habit, for the want of a better word, with something that's and you know, not the same as running. And then you don't get the same buzz from the cross trainer or the pool, but you're able to feed that need to move.
2: Yeah, and you know it, it was kind of like a challenge for me as well. Like, you know, h- yeah. how can I get back to that fitness? I know right now I can't do running or I can't do as much running or the mileage the intensity whatever you know it's kind of changed at different points throughout the injury but it was kind of a a challenge to kind of get back to that fitness and it's really nice now seeing the progression one week after the next and I think that's you know kind of relatable to a lot of people when you start to train a little bit more maybe after Christmas or something like that you kind of see You know, one week you've done a park run in 24 minutes, the next week you've done it in 23 and a half, and then a month down Mm. the line you're 22. So, you know, I'm kind of going through that now. A few weeks ago I did uh, four by five minutes a workout, and the average pace was like, no, sorry, the quickest pace was like 5.12 per mile, which for me is 12 seconds a mile slower than I ran my marathon PB. So... And that was way, so way off. And then, you know, one week later, I did a 5k where every single split was quicker. Uh, So I ran, it was just under 16 minutes. And then last week I did a workout two by two miles where, which is way quicker again. So it's really nice to kind of see that all the training and the cross training especially is working because there's no way the run training alone that I'm doing is getting that kind of progression. Mm. But actually all the aerobic training that I'm doing combined with the kind of quality stuff that I'm able to run, it's all going in the right direction, which is why I speak of the confidence that the cross training has given me and that I'll maintain some of it moving forward. Yeah. Obviously it's going to be majority running um, well over 100 miles a week, but I won't be afraid to jump on the cross trainer if I'm really tired one day or if something feels tight, I'm not going to feel like well I have to run through this. It'll just be like, you know, kind of learn from your mistakes a little bit and adapt.
1: There might not be mistakes, right? There might be things that you naturally naturally happen to us as we as we go through the course of our of our of our running journeys because you can't control everything. And I, I know we like to. But we can't and things happen that are outside of our control, whether it's injury, illness, whatever, that get that do, do get in the way. But the important thing is absolutely learning from it and adapting as you go. So you can't do the same things you've always done. Nobody can. We have to yeah. change it as we develop. And that's a recognition of you know, your maturity as an athlete, physically yeah. and mentally.
2: And, and I think, you know, while it could have been a struggle for me to cope with the kind of uncertainty and things, I think bizarrely that... <laughs> Covid may have helped me deal with the uncertainty a little bit better and kind of made me a little bit better at adapting and things like that because obviously things did not go my way or anyone's way during 2020 for example but everyone had to find their own way through it and do what they can to keep themselves fit and around all the different rules and things like that so I think that probably helped me a little bit deal with the uncertainty and come up with a plan that was different to what i was obviously hoping for because i was going to you know probably have done great north run big half done an autumn marathon things like that so all those plans went totally out of the window just like they did a couple of years ago and then you just have to kind of find a new route and plot the next goal
0: Mm.
1: yeah exactly and there's plenty of them as well there's plenty of other things that you can do and plenty of things to look forward to. you Don't have to rush for each individual one, with the exception maybe of the World Championship Marathon, which comes along. Yeah. Well, the, the race itself comes along once every two years, but for you, you know, it's once every four years, and you know, who knows whether you qualify for the next one. So you don't—you've yeah. got to take your chances when they're there. So, you know, in that instance, you can see why. But sometimes I, I fear that people are obsessed with a certain goal or a certain milestone, but they—they. They, they're not thinking that actually there's another one that can come down the line if I just remain patient and that, and talking patience actually the other thing I was going to ask you was how you've stopped yourself rushing back into running given how much you how important running is to you
2: yeah I mean I think it's kind of a classic mistake a lot of people make you know I'm a coach as well as an athlete myself, so a lot of the people you know you kind of see them do kind of one good session back and they immediately then want to jump back into full training. And, you know, I think the important thing for me was not to commit to a race too early because then I would be pressured to be fit by a certain date. So by not committing to anything, I kind of had the freedom to take things as quickly or as slowly as I needed to. Um, So I was comfortable in the fact that I maybe took things a little bit more conservatively than i could have but it was i knew that a setback would be tough and it would be really really annoying and that would potentially put my spring 2023 plans in jeopardy so i kind of had the long-term aim of being you know marathon fit by spring 2023 and hopefully 10k fit by december which in july is a long long way away so Mm. You know, the initial goal for me was to recover. Then it was kind of ease back into running. Then it was to introduce a little bit more quality. And then, you know, I'm still kind of in the phase of building up. Like yesterday, I did my longest run to date since the injury, uh, which went really well. But, you know, I'm not worrying about the splits or anything like that. It's more kind of just the process of building week on week, seeing that progression um, in the split times, you know, and not being so kind of, I don't think I've looked at my mileage, weekly mileage, since I've been injured because it's irrelevant because I'm doing so much cross training anyway. So, because I've been able to supplement so much with cross training, that, you know, it's not that I'm being really conservative with the training, I'm training a lot. It's just being sensible with the running because that's the kind of big risk factor because of the impact and the intensity kind of on the muscles and bones. Because, you know, even though it was a bone injury, your muscles obviously haven't done any kind of yeah. high-intensity stuff either. So you have to be careful with quite a few things when you come back initially. And then once you've managed that, then you can kind of start to build.
1: Yeah. And you managed that on a, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. There's no like, grand planning weeks out in advance. You're trying to respond to what's happening. But you are looking at a longer-term horizon. So your long-term horizon is spring, making sure that your marathon fit by then. So not doing so much now that's going to compromise that, but building gradually throughout that process.
2: Yeah. And I think the way I was thinking about it was that if I was going to be doing a spring twenty twenty three marathon, then normally I'll have also done an October 2022 marathon. So when I was in September, I wasn't normally I wouldn't be training for spring twenty twenty three because I hadn't even done the autumn race yet. So, you know, I'm only had I done an auto marathon this year, I would only now we'd be starting to kind of get back into easy training. So I'm kind of already ahead of where I would be had I just done a marathon. Mm. So I always had that kind of nice in my mind as well to kind of, well, you don't need to rush immediately back into it. This this race is like six months away. And normally you're not going to be pushing like crazy six months out from a race because you'll never survive (laughs) until race day. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was kind of, you know, there's no immediate rush. Let's be sensible and do as much as you can without kind of risking it.
1: Good. Thanks, Josh. That was really interesting for to share that level of depth. I think it's fascinating how you cope with that mentally, but also physically and how you've adapted throughout the process and are now seeing progression. I think the progression thing, I think, is a really interesting point. So thank you for for sharing that with us. Thank you. So there's loads in there. A couple of things I just wanted to draw out that I haven't already done so in the course of the conversation. The first of those is this idea that it's not a choice. Not a choice to not stop. It wasn't even a choice to not start. He was always going to do both. He was always going to start, and he was never going to stop. There's also not a choice, as he recovered, to exercise. And the non-stopping thing I think is interesting to so asked him how, how do you not stop when you're in so much pain and his perspective was that he's put himself in tough positions before so he's used to it, perhaps not as bad. And he obviously is very driven by the goal as well of completion. He doesn't really know himself, how he manages to push himself on. But I can tell you what you already know, which is that he is a one very mentally tough, tough athlete. And I think he's probably got it right that you know, he puts himself in tough positions, trains alone in difficult circumstances. And that resilience that comes with that is learned and trained, which is great. The other thing that he said was not a choice was to exercise. And here, for me, the role of cross-training takes on a new, a new meaning, a new dimension, which is, it's not just about keeping fit, although obviously that is part of the role of cross-training when you can't run. It is also to maintain an exercise habit and a routine, so that when you are ready to run, it's easier to slip back into it because it's just too easy to allow our rhythm to be broken and it becomes so much harder afterwards when that's so. So that's a good way of looking at the purpose of cross-training, I think, in the recovery from injury process. So that's not a choice. That's... One of the two things I just wanted to draw out from that conversation with Josh. The second thing was the adaptability, the adaptability to new circumstances, ones that he didn't expect. And I thought it was really interesting how he talked about how COVID had actually helped him, how the pandemic had actually helped him. And I know from my conversations with him in the past that he struggled with the restrictions, isolation, and lack of access to facilities for a long period of time. The facilities that you, you come to rely upon as a, as an athlete. But it's interesting how he talked about how having been through that, it helped in this time. And that's back to what I talked about before, that resilience. It's a learned skill. The more you develop it, the more you solve problems, which is effectively what, what it is in response to, better you become so I thought that was really interesting and these are things that we see in the next part of our four-part mini-series and next up is is Charlotte
2: I obviously had to take a couple weeks off after being ill so it was kind of like if I'd have done the marathon I would have done that anyway so it's back into normal routine (laughs) so I tried to forget about it and move on
1: and in here, there's, there's a couple of things. There's some denial, or perhaps more positively put, not focusing on the negative. And there's reframing, which is more than just forgetting about it and moving on. And that is where, for me, the real non-choice is. Because if you want to progress as an athlete, and make your living as being an athlete. Negativity is really corrosive. So we have to find ways of dealing with it. So we're gonna hear about that next time. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. I realize that you, you have a choice not to. And please, please look after yourself. Speak to you soon.